0: My most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Psych, from our studios at Prashantin And this is a program where we go through the verses of the Bhagavad Gita, try to understand them in depth, and more importantly, try to understand them in the light of Swami's message. And even further, more important than that, try ways by which we can practically implement these beautiful messages in our everyday life. As we've seen, this is certainly not a spiritual text purely for rumination. There are some spiritual texts like that which speak of very very advanced topics and uh, themes which are meant to be contemplated upon. But Bhagavad Gita, as we've seen, is a text which gives you a message which needs to be practiced in everyday life. So with that prayer that even as we go through these verses, we also are able to put it into practice in our everyday life and learn through direct experience. We'll begin with this week's program. We are still in the fourth chapter. In fact, we are in the beginning of the fourth chapter. This, I think, is the third episode that we're doing on the fourth chapter. As always, let's begin with a short summary of what we covered last time before we go on to the verses that we're going to cover this week. After Krishna had spoken about the history of the yoga that he was giving Arjuna, Arjuna was filled with doubts and uh, Swami had explained all of Arjuna's thoughts. The Gita does not mention all of them but very beautifully and and, uh, in a sequential manner, Swami speaks about all the doubts that had filled Arjuna's mind. Swami says that Arjuna asks, How is it possible that you could have taught this wisdom to Viva you were born much later and Vivaswan and Manu and Ikshvaku are all people who came much much before you. And then he goes on to say, if you claim it was when you were in a different body, then how come you still remember what you did in a previous body? We all forget what happened in our previous birth. How is it that you have memory or knowledge of that? And even if I agree that you are a divine being and so you have knowledge of that, why would you teach it to sun god Who is also considered to be divine. And then he says that if it is true that you have taught this wisdom to Vivaswan or Sun God, it only means that you are the Supreme Lord Himself. If that be the case, why would the Supreme Infinite Lord come in a finite human body? Right? So these are the doubts that Arjuna's mind is filled with and uh, Krishna tells him, tell me what you wish to ask and the answers that Krishna gave in the verses that followed and in the verses that we are going to go through today are answers to all of these doubts that Arjuna had asked so these doubts in Arjuna's mind also show his ignorance about Krishna's nature and in a sense we should be thankful for that because to explain to Arjuna Krishna starts speaking in depth about the nature of an avatar And we all are going to benefit from that. The way Krishna begins his answer is very, very interesting. In the fifth verse of the fourth chapter, Krishna starts by saying that uh, not only me, you are also somebody who has been coming from birth to birth. He says, I have had many births. Arjuna, you have also had many, many births. But the only difference is, I know it and you don't. So this knowing is not merely knowledge of all the births, not merely the details of who you were, where you were born, to whom you were born and not that kind of knowledge, right? Of course that also is there with Krishna but the knowledge probably Krishna is referring to is the knowledge of self-identification or whom do you believe your true self to be. Arjuna who identified with the body was saying Krishna you are only a few years older than me But Krishna, who knows that He is not the body, was saying, I am eternal, I have taken many births. With this understanding of the Self comes the knowledge of everything, and hence Krishna is referred to as Sarvagnya. So it is not merely the knowledge of all the details, but it is a knowledge of who you really are, and the knowledge of everything comes along with that. In fact, Swami explains. That in the Gita, in the Gita Vaini, that Krishna tells Arjuna, even you have the wisdom, but right now it is covered by the ignorance. And he tells Arjuna, I don't have the ignorance because I am that wisdom itself. And this is a hint that Krishna is dropping, which he further explains in the next verse. Right? So he says, if you look at it, he says that you have the wisdom, but it is covered in ignorance but I am the wisdom itself. We all are born again and again because in a sense we are covered in this ignorance. Because we believe we are the body, we do karma and to face the consequences of what we do, we believe that we are the doers. So because we believe we are the doers, we become enjoyers and we come back in a human birth. But Krishna is wisdom itself. There is absolutely no ignorance that causes his incarnation. So Krishna says in the final words that we saw last week, he says, Though I am ajaha, unborn, avyayatma, of imperishable nature, bhutanam ishvara, the lord of all beings, I take birth, but with complete control over my nature, or the other way of looking at it is by concealing my true nature. And Krishna says, Using the same maya with which I created the world, I create my incarnation and I come amongst the the people of the world. So individuals like you and me are born subject to our nature or prakriti and deluded by maya but the lord comes wielding his nature in a manner that he chooses and is not deluded but uses the maya to delude and hide his true nature from all of us. So these were the verses that we covered last time and this time we're going to probably take up only two very very important verses. The next two verses that we're going to cover are verses which are very popular from the Gita. Even those who are not very familiar with the Gita probably would have heard these verses in Swami's discourses or in any general discourse or at least you'd have heard it on TV I'm sure. These are very important verses and these are two verses which together convey a very important concept. So what we will do today is we will discuss both these verses together but I will play one verse, I will give you the brief meaning as we usually go through. Then I will play the next one, we will go through the brief meaning of that and then we will discuss both these verses together in detail. So this is verse number 7 of chapter 4, as always rendered very beautifully and clearly by our brother Sham. Yada yada hi dharmasya bhavati bharata abhyutthanam adharmasya tadatmanam srijamyaham Whenever there is a decline of dharma o Arjuna and rise in adharma then i manifest myself Paritranayasadhuna Vina Shaya Chadushritam Dharma Samsana Sambhavami Yuge Yuge For the protection of the good and for the destruction of the evil and for the purpose of firmly establishing dharma, I take birth. In every age. So these are the two very important shlokas, which, as I said, explain the purpose of an avatar. And the concept of an avatar is itself cardinal principle in Sanatan Dharma. In fact, Swami had said this during one of the discourses that he gave way back in 1965. In fact, it was a discourse that Swami gave in the town of Rajamandri in uh, 1st of April, where Swami says the three cardinal principles of the hindu faith are belief in a series of births belief in avatars of the lord and belief in karma so these two verses and also the previous verse which i spoke about in my summary all of these describe the nature of an avatar and later krishna will explain why it is important to be aware of this or have a knowledge of this Right? It's a very, very important uh, shloka which comes later and probably we'll take it up next week. Even though this is an explanation of why an avatar comes, in a sense this is not complete or it is missing out a few very, very important things which we'll speak about if time permits. Again, it's not something that I'm saying. It is something based on what Swami has said. It is, uh, you can say that all of these are related, the points which are missed out and the points which are mentioned here. But nevertheless, we will speak about it when we come to that. So coming to these two shlokas, Arjuna had this doubt, why should the infinite come in a perishable body? We all can understand an individual going from the finite state to the infinite state, going from a perishable nature, that is what we all are in this human body, to immortality or what Swami would refer to as Amritatvam, right, from manavatvam or manishvatvam to amritatvam from human nature to immortality but arjuna asked why should the infinite lord come in a finite form there should be some serious task to accomplish for him right and added to that krishna had said earlier in the third chapter he had said Trishulokeshu i do not have any duty that binds me to make me come again and again not in this world not in all the three worlds right these were krishna's own words so which means there is no compulsion for god to come in a human form then why does he take the trouble so krishna says that the condition that calls for his advent is when there is a decline of dharma and a rise in adharma he says bharata o arjuna yada yada hi whenever there is Dharmasya glanir bhavatihi. There is a decline in dharma. The word glani means decline or decay. So he says, Dharmasya glanir bhavatihi. When there is a decline in dharma, abhyutthanam. When there is a rise, adharmasya. In adharma, tada, then atmanam, myself, srijami, manifest, aham, I. The word srijya means to create, right? So literally, atmanam srijamyaham means I create myself or I manifest myself. So this is the scenario which Krishna says draws the Lord into taking a human form to become an avatar. When there is a decline in dharma and when there is a rise in adharma. But in this situation or in this scenario, what does the Lord come to achieve? that Krishna mentions in the next loka, he says, dharma Samsthapana for the purpose of dharma samsthapana or the establishing of dharma, sambhavami yuge yuge I manifest age after age. And how is Krishna planning to achieve this dharma samsthapana? What is the modus operandi, so to say, which is not only his but of all the avatars, be it Rama, Krishna, or our beloved Swami, because these few verses, if you notice, Krishna is not speaking as Vasudeva Krishna, but he is speaking as Ishwara who has taken the avatar. Some of the portions in the beginning chapters we have seen that Krishna was, you know, whatever advice that he was giving Arjuna, he was saying, "It is said that this is how you should lead your life." It is said that uh, the body is impermanent. And this is what the Vedas say. We saw some references that Krishna was making to the Shrutis. right? And we had spoken of how those were the times when Krishna was speaking in the Smriti mode. So a Smriti is that which always makes references to the Shrutis, which are the Vedas, to validate a point that they are making. But here if you see Krishna is speaking as Ishwara. So if I could put it that way, Krishna is now switched on to the Shruti mode. He is speaking directly as God and he does not take the reference of any scripture or the Vedas to explain what he is saying. So he is explaining the nature, mission and purpose of the avatar by any avatar and we are hearing it from the Lord himself. So he says, when there is a fall in dharma and a rise in adharma, I come for the purpose of establishing dharma. And how do I achieve that? Krishna says, Paritraana ya sadhunam For the protection of the sadhus or those committed to dharma or in general the good cha and vinashaya duṣkṛtam For the annihilation or destruction of the wicked or bad in general. Right? Now there are a few concepts that have to be defined here for us to understand these two all-important shlokas. So the central concept as we have seen is dharma. If we define dharma, we will know what is a dharma of course and what is meant by establishing dharma or dharma samsthapana. We will also be able to understand who is a sadhu and who is a dushkrita, the noble and the wicked. And what Krishna means by fostering them and destroying them. So the definition of dharma is not something that we are going to do only now. We have done that before. So we are going to be revisiting the definition of dharma. Because especially when we spoke about the concept of swadharma, we spoke in detail about it. But before we go there, there is a very very important point that Swami makes that we need to reiterate here. Swami says, dharma never declines dharma is eternal it is only the practice of dharma that declines so Swami makes a very clear distinction between dharma and the practice of dharma so from the point of view of language at least we use the word dharma for the quality as well as the practice or at least so it appears right so whenever we say dharma clearly Krishna says when dharma declines But Swami says dharma does not decline but only the practice of dharma declines. So from that we can understand that dharma is a word which is used for the quality as well as a certain practice. The other important point that Swami makes which is a very critical hint for us is this example that we would have heard from Swami many many times. We would have heard Swami using this in many of his discourses too. Swami would say the dharma of fire is to be hot the dharma of water is to flow and so on, right? He would say that every entity in nature has a dharma and Swami would say when these elements give up these qualities, they cease to be fire, water or whatever they are. So Swami would refer to this as sahajaguna or the innate quality of each object or entity or person or whatever we are referring to. In other words, An entity's dharma is that quality, which is the innate quality that characterizes that entity. If you remove that quality, that entity is not itself. If fire loses the quality of heat, fire does not remain fire. Right? That's that's something which Swami would say in his discourses. And we can say that the practice of dharma is that which makes that entity Retain that natural quality. And this practice varies, or what has to be done to ensure that the dharma of that particular entity is maintained varies. This practice can decline or may need fixing, right? So, that is what we are talking about. I know it's a little complicated. Let's see if I can give you an example. There's an example which made me understand this concept better, so I'm sharing it with you. Hopefully, this will clarify whatever we've been saying about dharma, practice of dharma, the quality of dharma, and what ensures that the quality of dharma is maintained. Let us take the element of water. Now, water has a few qualities, but let us say that the most important quality of water is that it sustains life by hydrating our body and by quenching our thirst. Now, this quality of water is eternal right that is why we refer to water as the elixir of life this is a position that this entity of water has been given by god himself right but the same water when it becomes impure or when it carries some poisonous substances or has some dissolved chemicals or metals can become lethal to the human body right this does not mean that pure water has lost its value No more pure water can quench our thirst. No more pure water can hydrate us. The value of pure water will always be there. Right? But this life-giving nature is the dharma of water because that is God ordained. God has said that this is the role you will play in my creation. Right? So pure water will always be life-giving. Pure water will always be something that quenches our thirst and which keeps our body alive and hydrated. Right? Now, the word dharma can also be used for that process which ensures that water's dharma is retained. In other words, the process of water purification is the dharmic activity, so to say, which retains the dharma of water. I hope you are following what I am saying. So, when I ensure that the water has no dissolved substances, it is free from bacteria, it is pure it is clean etc etc then water will perform its dharma of quenching thirst and giving good health right so the word dharma is used for both that quality which defines that entity which makes that entity what it is and the activity that helps that entity express that quality and purpose always plays a very very important role in all of this right And that is what we're going to see in the next few minutes. Let me take the example that we've been going through, the same example of water itself. Now, water can be used for multiple purposes. I can use it for watering plants. I can use it for mixing it with cement and use it for construction. I can, being a chemistry student, I can use it as a solvent in my chemistry lab. I can use it for distillation processes and so on. Now, each of these purposes will define how I prepare water for it, isn't it? For example, in the ashram, we use water that is recycled from bathrooms and canteens for watering plants. So a very basic level of water treatment is enough to prepare that water for this purpose. But if I want to use the same water for drinking purposes, the purification process will be much much more rigorous and it will be even more elaborate, right? And also, the kind of purification that we have today The same drinking water, the way we purify it today is completely different from the way we purified it probably 100 years ago because the kind of pollutants in the water have changed. right? So the point is Dharma is of two kinds One, innate nature The other, the process or activity that helps us retain that nature and when it comes to the action the action itself is defined by the purpose we assign for that entity. Now let us say with all the energy drinks that we have, the cool drinks that we have, the colas and the sodas and all of that, let's say thousand years down the line, the human life has forgotten that water is meant to be drunk as it is and it is meant to hydrate the body. Let's say that we've just forgotten that pure water or water in its purest form is meant to be consumed in that manner. If it ever happens that way, Then the process of purification will also be forgotten, isn't it? Because we don't look at water as something that has to be drunk itself. So the process of purifying, the process of filtering, all of that will go. So when I forget the purpose, the dharmic activity associated with it will also be lost. Now let us talk about the human birth, because that's what we're interested about, not about water or fire or any other entity, right? So, what is the essential quality of human life or human birth. Swami would say, manavatvam or humanness, that alone defines a human birth. This is just a word, humanness or manavatvam. If you're a manava, you should have manavatvam. If you're a human, you should have humanness. This is just a play of words. But when we use these words manavatvam and humanness, whatever language it is, humanness in English, manavatvam in all the other Indian languages, or each language will have something, a word for this. We all know what it stands for. We know what humanness stands for. We know what manavatam stands for, right? It is being compassionate, it is being kind, feeling the other person's pain, empathy, sympathy, and all of that, right? But what is the true dharma of a human being? As we just saw, the dharma and the dharmic activity is attached to the purpose, right? So the dharma of a human birth is the highest purpose of a human life and who can tell us what is the best or the highest purpose of the human life better than the creator himself absolutely right we have to turn to Swami to find out you have created the human life what is this purpose of human birth and Swami says that of the 84 lakh odd species that are in creation only human life has this opportunity to raise the soul to the divine state in other words the human life is like a doorway to divinity so that is its innate nature that is its purpose and that is the dharma of human life so the dharma of this human life is that it is a gateway to divinity it's like a i could call it a one-way door so what is the purpose of such a one-way door it is to allow you to move from one door to the other and of course you can't return back right So that is the purpose of a one-way door and human life is meant to be a one-way door where from human life you enter into divine life or a divine existence. But this door, I could use it for any other purpose. Suppose I want to hang a poster on it, I want to put a picture on it, I want to put a picture of Sami on that door and make an altar there. Yes, I can use it for any purpose that I want but the purpose for which it was meant to be used is to make it a doorway for us to move from one place To the other, and this is exactly what we have seen when we also discussed about the concept of Swadharma. Where Swami said Swadharma is nothing but Atma Dharma, and to realize one's inner divinity and merge in it is the only purpose of this human birth, and all activities that further this purpose are one's dharma. Right? That's what we had seen when we spoke about Swadharma. So just like the innate nature of water will never go. Even if we pollute every drop of water that is there in the world, at the end of creation, if we have messed up so badly and we have ruined the environment in such a manner that there is not even a single drop of pure water, even then the quality that water can quench thirst and water is life-giving will not be taken away from water because that is the dharma of water that is ordained by the creator himself. Similarly, Even if every single person in this world loses all values and forgets the purpose of human life, the fact that human life is a pathway to divine life will never be taken away because it is a God-ordained dharma of this human life. And like in the case of water, where though there is one supreme purpose, we can draw different purposes from the same object and that will start defining our actions. In the case of human birth too, though there is the supreme purpose, which is God-ordained, which we just spoke about, people might think that to enjoy pleasures is the purpose of human birth and people will start living life in accordance with that. right? But even if we do not know what is the purpose of life, even if we are uninitiated in that knowledge, if we lead life manifesting those qualities that we refer to as humanness or manavatvam, which we just spoke about, compassion and love and being kind and not hurting others, right? Even people who do not know about the purpose of human life know what is humanness and what is manuvatam, right? So even if you do not know the purpose and follow these qualities which stand for humanness, we will eventually be led to the realization of the purpose. And that is one point I think we had mentioned before and I mentioned this on other programs that i had the opportunity to talk to you also that good karmas will eventually lead one to the state or the quest of the Mumukshatwam or the desire to find the ultimate liberation, right? So just like purification is the dharmic karma when it comes to water, performing good actions, being kind, being compassionate, being just, not hurting others, etc. etc. etc., are the dharmic activities when it comes to the human birth. And that is because they ensure that human life will then express the dharma. That was God ordained, which is being a gateway to divinity. Right? And the question of dharma and adharma comes only with the concept of free will, right? That's, I think, quite understandable when we talk about dharma, following it and not following it. It only comes when we bring in the concept of me having that choice, right? If, like animals and plants, if we were pre programmed, then there's no problem. The fact that human life is a gateway to divinity comes with the idea that there is free will and with it comes the option or the danger of slipping down too. Right? That is why Swami would say, if you are a human or a manava and you lack manavatva, you are only an akara manava, a human only in form but not in reality. Just like how if you take away the dharma of water, it is no more water if you give me a glass of poisoned water I might call it water I might call it poisoned water or impure water or dirty water but the fact is it is no more water which can be consumed Right? similarly Swami says being a human if you do not have manavatvam you are only an akhara manava or a human in form because in reality you are only an animal because now you are expressing pashutvam or animal qualities So to sum up what we have discussed till now God comes in a human form When does that happen? When dharma declines and adharma rises What is dharma? Broadly speaking the inner defining nature which is based on the purpose is dharma and the actions that are in line with that purpose is also referred to as dharma As the purpose of human life is to realize divinity the indelible dharma of this human life is that It is a gateway to divinity and all actions that take me to this goal are all dharmic actions. And when Krishna says dharma is declining, it means people are forgetting the purpose of this human birth and so the dharmic actions are not being performed. So now to define who a sadhu is becomes very very easy. A sadhu is not a renunciant or a monk or a saint or a sage. Krishna or Swami does not come only for the sake of sages and saints. Swami doesn't come for sages and saints. And if he had, I will not be sitting here and most of us will not be having this opportunity to know and interact with Swami. Right? Sadhu is anyone who is striving to be human. Human, the way we have defined so far. And Swami also adds that anyone striving to do his or her duty in spite of all the oppositions, is also a sadhu and an avatar comes for the upliftment of sadhus. And Dushkrita, the word Dushkrita means evil actions. Dushkrit means an evildoer. And from the discussion we've had so far, it can be clearly said that one who performs such actions that takes one towards animality is a Dushkrit. And Swami made it very clear Many, many times in his discourses, that we all have these two personalities within us. The one who is striving to be good and the one who is bad in that sense, who is taking us away from the right actions. Even the worst sinner, Swami would often say this even the worst criminal, even the worst sinner always has these two personalities. No one can claim that I don't have a conscience, right? And all of us are going through this constant battle between the right and the wrong or the right the evil and the noble and right in the beginning when we were talking about the i think in the first chapter itself we had discussed this swami had explained the inner meaning of the war of kurukshetra swami had said hastinapura means the city of bones which is the human body the pandavas are the human values which are five in number the kaurava hoods represent the multitudes of negative feelings that come in many many hues and shades etc and the war of Kurukshetra is this battle which happens within each individual. right? And when an increasing number of people choose to give in to this battle or, or give in to the evil in this battle, succumb to the negative, this leads to the decline in the practice of Dharma, which is what is referred to as glanir bhavati. And the cause for this varies from age to age. Just like how we had, when I was speaking about water pollution, I said the way we need to treat or purify our water today is very, very different from the way we had to do it 100 years ago. Similarly, to restore human life to its purpose is a little different from age to age because the forces which work on it is different from age to age. In fact, in Swami's Ramakatha, Swahini Swami has there's this very, very beautiful portion where there's a dialogue between lord rama and mother sita just before mother sita is abducted by ravana rama calls lakshmana and sends him away on some work and then he starts talking to mother sita and says that the time has come you have to prepare yourself the purpose for which we are come is going to be enacted now so you have to prepare yourself and swami writes in that portion i just want to read out those two paragraphs this is from the Ramkatha Swami, and uh, swami says these are the words of lord rama to Mother sita. He says, and I quote The world has to realize that Ravana's dedication and devotion to God are not of the highest order. For what use is that sense of surrender if it is tarnished by cravings for sensual pleasures and immoral yearnings? Activities and behavior emanating from a consciousness that is not pure are tarnished. Devotion to God that is polluted by lust. Is as foul as dirt. These truths have to be emphasized now for the benefit of mankind. End of quote. The reason I read out that passage is very, very clearly Rama says there that here is Ravana, he epitomizes a certain kind of devotee who thinks, I worship God, I sing songs for God, and I'm very learned, I've read all of these books. I dedicate so much of my time to reading and acquiring knowledge and wisdom. This alone does not make a devotee, right? So Rama was saying that we have to hold Ravana as an example that this is not how you should lead your life. You cannot have two lives where one you say that I am devoted to God, I worship God and then you allow these qualities of lust, ego, anger to remain in your heart, right? So clearly Rama is telling and Swami is telling us through the words of Rama that the purpose of the battle between Rama and Ravana was to convey this message that as devotees you cannot go wrong like this. Similarly, if you look at the Kauravas, if you study the Mahabharata, you will see that in many, many ways the Kauravas are doing what is wrong but they are doing it in a manner that they are sometimes legal. Right? In many ways, if you see it is very difficult to find mistakes with what they are doing according to the law, right? So as one of the scholars was saying, Ravana represented a bad person, but Duryodhana represented a person who was bad, but was doing bad in a manner that it is very difficult to point fingers at. So the way Krishna had to deal with him was completely different, right? But age after age, the process of... Resurrecting dharma changes because the way dharma declines also changes, right? So the dharma is same. The decline in dharma also happens because people stop practicing dharma. But the process of setting it right varies from time to time. And hence Krishna says, I come in a human form. So what does God achieve by coming in a human form? He had said, Sambhavami yuge yuge. What does he really do when he manifests in a human form? If you really look at it, the rules of nature never change, right? When Krishna said that this is the yoga that I taught in the beginning of time to Vivaswan and he taught it to all of these rishis who are kings, which means the yoga, the process has not changed. And in the beginning of this chapter, Krishna says that with time, this knowledge has been lost. Which means karma yoga practiced In the beginning of time, be it Treta Yuga, Dwapra Yuga, Kali Yuga or thousand years down the line, if somebody were to practice Karma Yoga, the benefit will come to that person. That person will raise in consciousness, that person will be marching towards the divine state. But with time, in a sense, we lose faith in it, right? That's what happens, we lose faith in a life like that. We look around, everybody is running after money, everybody is running after fame, and everybody is running after whatever the society is having to offer. So we put ourselves in between all of this. It becomes very difficult for us to not be distracted by all of this. And this is again something which Krishna mentioned in the third chapter. He says, Asuya is the cause. When you look at everybody around who are enjoying life in the moment, you find it very difficult to give up that enjoyment and seek something higher. Because in essence, most of what we refer to as goodness is about giving or giving up the drishya fala for the adrishya phala. There is a benefit which is seen immediate and right in front of me and I am being asked to give up that for something which is unseen and which is going to come from the future. If I speak the truth, I am going to lose in the moment but probably it's going to add to virtue and you know it's going to be merit which will benefit me later. But if I can speak the untruth now, I can get away from this situation right now. So the benefit of speaking untruth is right in front of me, but the benefit of speaking the truth is actually in the air. So how will I be a person who will follow truth? How will I be a person who will be ready to give up the drishya fala for the adrishya phala? I need to have faith right i need to have the faith in the fact that the lord who is the one who is going to dispense all of this he's in control and he knows and he records every good action and it is going to be rewarded right we lose that faith or rather the other way of putting it is we fear we are scared we are scared for ourselves we are scared for those who are dependent on us we are scared for those who are dear to us right so all of this comes into play In the way we act, attachment is a very important, uh, plays a very important role in that. But more importantly, the overpowering feeling is fear, right? We fear for ourselves. And most of the people who do wrong things, who hoard money, who cannot let go of property, who cannot let go of fame and name and all of these things, they are people who are afraid, right? And even those who are good amongst us, hopefully, You and I will be counted in that by Swami that we are the good ones who are struggling to be good. Even those who are predominantly good and noble, they err because they fear. We all make mistakes because we have fear. And that is why, what is the greatest blessing that Swami gives? We all must be having this in our homes and uh, a picture of Swami with two hands raised. We refer to that pose as the pose of Abhaya Hasta. Right, So the greatest blessing the Lord confers is fearlessness. He's saying that I am there, if you do what is right, if you act according to what I am telling you to act, you will benefit. Do not fear, be assured. And that's why I was saying fearlessness and faith are synonyms. If you have faith, you will be fearless. If you're fearless, that is a sign of faith. Right? So when God comes down in a human form, in a way he sensitizes us to this eternal truth that this path will work, right? Being good does pay. Doing the right thing has its benefits. If you're able to do the right thing without bothering about the results, if you're able to act selflessly, you will benefit. And this is like the dharma of water. Pure water always quenches thirst pure water always is life-giving. Similarly, good actions or karma yoga will always benefit but we have lost our knowledge of this thing. So when the Lord comes, he comes to sensitize us to this truth or to this reality and this is something that we have seen in Swami's presence. Right, When Swami in a human form, when he rewards somebody who has done something good, we have seen any number of cases where somebody would do something good in uh, absolute secrecy. Nobody else would have known that this person has done something right or this person has done something good and Swami would reward that person or Swami would give an indication that what you've done has reached me. That is the confidence that gives us that impetus to do what is right, do what is dharmic. right. So when God comes down in a human form, He doesn't change any laws. He doesn't bring any change to the way things work The way karma is rewarded may or may not. Because I can't speak of this with absolute authority. But more important than all of this, He sensitizes us to this. He sensitizes us to the fact that He is omniscient. He sensitizes us to the fact that the Lord is always with us. He is omnipresent and He is omnipotent. Right. So when Krishna said, Sambhavami yuge yuge, As devotees of Swami, for us it is important to understand what is Sambhavami and what is Asambhavam also, because we have seen that. We have seen that body unmanifest also. The 24th of April is the time when we saw that the physical body was withdrawn. So, what is that period of 85 years meant to do in all our lives? It is only to make us sensitive to a truth which was always eternal. Swami. Is always with us, Swami is always in our heart, Swami is always a witness of all our actions, Swami is always the one who rewards us for what we do, but we have forgotten it and the role that the avatar comes to play when he comes in a human form is only to sensitize us to this truth. It does not change before or after the Sambhavami and Asambhavami happens, right? It is always the truth. We are made aware of it. Our attention is called to this truth. Right? And that is why Swami would say, I think a couple of times during the summer course discourses when Swami is talking to the students, Swami would say that this is the role I want all of you to play. I want you to go out into the world and remove the fear of people. This is something which is so profound that Swami would often say. I want you to spread fearlessness among people. What does that really mean and how do we really do that? And that is why I said these two shlokas are very important for us because if we want to be a part of Swami's mission, we should understand what is Swami's mission, right? And then only we can play a small role in that. God's mission is this, to spread abhayam, to grant fearlessness, right? Because the ability to do dharma is within each and every individual. As we said, the sadhu is also there in the individual the Dushkrita is also there in the individual. So a person does not need any extra power from the avatar. He only needs that impetus and that is given by Swami granting fearlessness. How can we be part of this mission of the Lord? How can we spread this fearlessness? Swami very, very clearly says, if you can lead a life that exemplifies this fearlessness, automatically you are spreading fearlessness around. If each one of us can lead our life in a manner that no amount of the scenario around us threatening us, it might make us a pauper, it might make us lose everything, it challenges all our wits. In spite of all that around, if we are able to say that, no, this is what Swami expects of me and this is what I will do, we will exemplify a fearlessness which will itself be an example for everybody else. People will look at us and say that, you know, I have enough money, I have enough property, but I don't have that fearlessness. I don't have that peace of mind which comes from that faith. right? And that is what we can stand for. And if we want to participate in the avatar's mission, this is what we have to do. And these are not my words, these are Swami's own words. Swami says that go out and spread fearlessness. And Swami says, my greatest gift to you is abhayam or fearlessness. Before I conclude today, as I write in the beginning, I said these two shlokas Krishna says, are the purpose of an avatar. But Swami says that this is not complete in itself. There is something that is lacking and I think it would not be complete if I don't mention that. And I'm sure it is going to come up in the later chapters, especially when Krishna starts speaking about the role, devotion and bhakti plays in the life of a sadhaka. But nevertheless, I thought we should make a mention of that. In Swami's bhagavata Vaini, Swami makes these very very profound points. Again, I want to read out these two paragraphs from Swami's bhagavata Vahini and uh, then I will explain or they will not need much explanation but nevertheless, I'll first read it out. Swami says and I quote, People believe that incarnations of God happen for only two reasons. The punishment of the wicked and the protection of the righteous. But these represent only one aspect of the task. The granting of peace and joy, of a sense of fulfillment to seekers who have striven long, this too is the task. The avatar or a form incarnate is only the concretization of the yearning of the seekers. It is the solidified sweetness of the devotion of godly aspirants. The formless assumes the form for the sake of these aspirants and seekers. They are the prime cause. The cow secretes milk for the sustenance of the calf. That is the chief beneficiary. But as we see, others also benefit from that milk. So too, though the devotees or bhaktas are the prime cause and their joy and sustenance, the prime purpose, other incidental benefits also accrue such as the fostering of dharma, the suppression of evil and the overwhelming of the wicked. End of quote. So very clearly and very beautifully Swami says that though Krishna said paritranaya sadhunam and Vinashayacha, dushkritam" is the purpose, dharma samsthapana is the purpose Swami says that yes all of this happens when an avatar comes but the primary purpose of an avatar is to satisfy the yearning of the devout right those who have yearned for his presence those who have always believed that there is a lord who is listening to my prayers who is my beneficiary who is making everything happen who is acting through me who is blessing me who is ensuring that my life goes on course those who have believed in the Lord, even though they could not see him, feel him, interact with him. Swami says the Lord incarnates primarily for them, right? And automatically Dharma Samstapana happens because it is through devotion this is best done. Most of us are, if at all, even if 5% if as devotees, we can claim that we are leading a dharmic life. I don't think it is because we believe that. Oh, the purpose of human life is to attain divinity and so I am leading a dharmic life. I don't think many of us would claim to lead our lives like that. Most of us lead a dharmic life, if at all we do, only because that pleases Swami, right? So dharma samstapana is best established, as Swami would say, when He comes down and spreads this love for Him. Automatically, everything else falls into place. Automatically, the sadhutvam, if I can use that word, I'm not too sure if it is one word, the nobility within us will automatically increase. And another very beautiful discourse, I think during one of the Janmashtami discourses, Swami says that often people say that God comes down to destroy the evil and to protect the good. But that is not true. Swami said, yes, God comes down to protect the noble, but he does not come to destroy the evil. And the explanation that Swami gave was so very sweet and profound. Swami said, because God cannot see the negative at all. God can only see what is positive. And when he cannot see the negative in you, how can he label you as being bad and destroy you? So that will never happen. The primary purpose of an avatar is when he comes to satisfy the yearning of a devotee, to improve or increase that goodness in each one of us, and enable us to win this battle between dharma and adharma, right? And that is why these two verses are very, very important. The verse which we will be going through next week will show why this is so very important, especially you and me who have had this opportunity, the most blessed opportunity of knowing Swami, should be aware of this. If we understand this, if we understand what is the purpose for which Swami has come, then we will strive to ensure that that purpose is fulfilled, right? Many, many times, I think we've mentioned this episode also many times where once Swami had, uh, was talking to one particular devotee in the portico, when all of a sudden Swami asked this devotee, I think this devotee was from one of the Western countries and he was also heading Swami's organization or playing an important role in Swami's organization. So the dialogue was about what is happening in the Sai organization in that country and all of that. And, In the course of that conversation, Swami all of a sudden asked this person, So how is your sadhana going on? And this person said, Swami, I don't have any time for sadhana. Swami was surprised and Swami said, why is that so? Why is it that you don't have any time for sadhana? And this person said, Swami, I'm a businessman, I'm very busy and I'm very, very busy in Swami's mission. He said, that is taking away all my time. And Swami had a very mischievous smile and Swami asked him, What is Swami's mission? And this person was dumbfounded. And then Swami started turning around and asking all the students around, who knows what is Swami's mission? What is Swami's mission? And everybody was quiet, They're wise enough not to say anything. And then Swami turned to this person and said, I am not a missionary, sir. Swami said, I am not a missionary. And then Swami pronounced, what is the mission of the Sai avatar and every avatar? Swami said, Every avatar that comes down in a human form has only one mission and that mission is to lead you to your divine self, right? So that alone is the mission of the Lord. And there was another very beautiful conversation which Dr. Fani Banda had with Swami when uh, when Swami was spending enormous amounts of energy and time in setting up the Sai organization, infusing his energy into the various activities guiding the office bearers and doing all of that one day dr fani banda the senior devotee of swami asked swami swami what is the role that the Satisai organization plays in swami's mission what role does it play in swami's mission right and swami very casually remarked nothing it does not play any role and he was very surprised because here is Swami who is giving so much time and energy to it and it's a huge movement which is taking shape and Swami saying that it does not have any role in my mission. And then Swami said, the only purpose for which I have set up the Sathasai organization is the members who participate in the activities can attain Chitta Shuddhi. That alone is the purpose, right? So the avatar has come only for this purpose if we can become those yearning devotees that is the best right everything else is taken care of but our minds are mixed our minds have different emotions and different uh, cravings and all of that so when we want to be part of Swami's mission or when we want to be the success story of Swami's mission if I could put it that way we will have to strive towards leading a dharmic life and leading a dharmic life is nothing but ensuring that the dharma of the human life is expressed What is the dharma of human life? The human life is a gateway to divinity. So with those few thoughts, dear listeners, I humbly offer this at Swami's Lotus Suite. I'll join you all again next week for the resumption of this Triune Pilgrimage. We'll continue with the fourth chapter. As I said, the next verse is a very important one. Every verse is an important one, isn't it? We are learning so much from that and I'm grateful to the Swami and each one of you for giving me this opportunity to join all of you week after week and learn the Bhagavad Gita. I will join you all again next week for the next episode of the Gita series. Till then, take care, Jay Saira.